be finding again the book of Romans in the 8th chapter. We were there uh, last week, Romans chapter 8, and we're going to focus on verses 16 to 25, but uh, we're going to pick up reading in verse, uh, verse 12 today. Romans chapter 8 and verse 12. Now last week, you might remember that we talked about being adopted by God into His family. And we talked about some of the benefits, some of the, uh, some, some of the blessings that go along with that that we experience due to being God's children by adoption. Now, we saw that as believers, we need to be crucifying the flesh. We need to be putting to, to death the deeds of the body, Paul says. And doing so is evidence, is proof that we are God's children. We also saw that, uh, that being adopted by God means that He chose us. That means that He was the one that initiated salvation. He's the one that, that drew us. He's the one that sent Christ. God was the one who chose us to be part of His family. We didn't choose Him to be part of ours. But also we looked at, at, at the changed relationship we have uh, with God now. It goes from having being one of slavish fear to one of a confident adoration that we can come to Him as, as loved children and we can praise Him, we can thank Him, and, uh, and we can worship Him. Now today we're going to continue along that vein and, and we're going to see some more benefits that Paul lists uh, that we can have as being children of God. Now the things that Paul says in this passage are items that, that really should cause us to rejoice. They're, they're things that should cause us to, to be happy. He's going to talk about having assurance of salvation uh, and, and, and the promise that we have of a future glory with Him in heaven. And so uh, it's my hope that today if, if you are a follower of Christ and maybe you're, you don't have assurance of salvation, you're just not sure if you're saved, it's my hope that today you'll have that assurance. If, if you're going through a trial, it's, it's my hope today that this will encourage you. And, and, and if you're not a follower of Christ, uh, of course it would be my hope that you become one today as well. So look if you would at Romans chapter 8, and we're going to pick up reading in verse 12. Paul says, So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if we are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and of children heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we eagerly wait for it. Now the first benefit or the first outcome that I want, that I want to highlight, and like I said, we've already covered uh, the three main ones in verses uh, 12 to 15. But picking up in verse 16, the first benefit or, or, or outcome or blessing that I, want, that I want you to see 
is that we can experience assurance of salvation today. Assurance of salvation. Now, what is assurance? Assurance is confidence. It's not waffling back and forth. It's not a, I think so. I, I, I hope I'm saved. I just don't know. It's an I know so type of feeling. And assurance is a great need because a lot of people don't have it. And, and a lot of, there are all kinds of reasons why people don't have assurance of salvation. Sometimes, uh, it's, it's, our, our walk stagnates. You know what I'm talking about? You're, you're just not making the progress in your Christian walk that you thought you would. And so sometimes we're, we're not where we need to be, we're not where we think we should be, and we look at that and say, well, that must mean that I'm not saved. Maybe that means that uh, I, I'm, just not, I'm just not God's child. Other times we feel like we maybe are God's child, maybe not, because of sin. We, uh, we, we sin, and, and we, we know there's a, a distance between us and God, and so we interpret that break-in re, uh, fellowship as a break-in relationship. But once you're saved, you're saved. Once you're his child, you're his child. And sometimes we, uh, we feel that way because of the accusations of the devil. The, the Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. And so sometimes, you know, uh, the devil, here's what he'll do. He'll come up to you and he'll say, yeah, go ahead and do that sin. You, you, you can get away with it. But then we do it, and what does he say? You can't get away with that sin. And he, he, he points the finger and he, he makes us feel guilty. And and it's not just about a specific sin. It's usually just, you know, we just feel bad. I, I, I just mess up so much. I just fall so short. He accuses us, and sometimes we look at that and we say, well, that must mean that I'm not really a Christian. And sometimes we just don't feel like it. You know, sometimes you wake up, and I mean, you wake up, the sun's shining, the birds are singing, and, you know, we're singing zippity-doo-dah, zippity-yay, and we're feeling like God's our, our, our Father, and, and everything is great. And then some days we wake up and it doesn't matter how bright the sun's shining, we just, oh, we're, we're just out of sorts and we don't feel like we're God's child. And so sometimes we just don't feel like it. And, and when, when we don't have that assurance of salvation, we get all worried. Uh, we Sometimes there are false reconversions. I mean, you can only be saved once, but sometimes we go, we, we think maybe that's what we need to do. Uh, we, we don't move forward. We don't serve the Lord. But listen, you can know that you're a child of God. You can have assurance of salvation. And, and this assurance, if, if you look at, at verse uh, 16, it says, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Now that word testifies is in the present tense. That means it's an ongoing thing. That doesn't mean that the, the Spirit says, Yeah, you're a child of God, and then a month later we say, Oh, well, I've got this going on. Am I really saved? And the Spirit is silent. That's not what it's saying. Present tense means it's an ongoing thing. There's no waffling back and forth. He keeps on testifying with our spirit. And we can live assured of our sonship. Now I want you to notice very carefully what he says in verse 16. It says the Spirit Himself testifies what? With our spirit, not to our spirit. Now there's, that's important. He testifies with our spirit, not to our spirit. And that's important because if you're a child of God, there's an inner... And it's hard to explain. There's an inner confidence. You know, there, you, there's just something down in you. You know that you're a child of God, that you're really a Christian. You, you can't explain it. You just know that's the way it is. Now, can you imagine being, being just, a, just a biological child and waking up one day and saying, maybe I would wake up one day and say, you know, today I just don't feel like I'm Dean Braddock's son. Another day I wake up, 
I think I'm Dean Braddock's son. And, and I base, if I, if I think I'm my dad's son, on how I feel. Can you imagine that? That's silly. I know who my father is. And that's what, that's what Paul's saying. He says the Spirit testifies with our spirit. Now that's a subjective thing. Our, our spirit testifies as well. There, there's that conscience that says you are a child of God, but also he testifies with it. So what is this evidence? What is this objective truth coming from the outside in that we can look at and say this is the Spirit's testimony that I'm really a child of God? Well, look at our text. What does it say in verse 15? For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So one way the Spirit testifies with our spirit is that when we look at our lives and we've got stuff going on, or maybe it's just this spontaneous thing that comes out, but we turn to God. That is evidence that you are a Christian. You say, well, everybody turns to God. No, there's a lot of people who don't. In fact, the Bible says that there are none who seek after God. And, and so when you turn to God, when you, when, when, you, when you seek to worship Him, when He is valuable in your life, that is evidence that you're a Christian. Uh, look up at, at, um, at verse uh, 12 and 13. It talks about putting to death the deeds of the body. Verse 13. If you look at your life and you say, I am not living perfectly by any means, but I am trying to choose to do right instead of wrong, if I'm making that choice, that is evidence that I'm a Christian. And then verses 14, and then back in verse 9, look at verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And then verse 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. If you have the Spirit of God within you and He is leading you, He is helping you to try to live right, He's helping you as you go through those struggles, if He is, if he is there with you, that's an evidence that you are a Christian because he's not, He doesn't have that relationship with a non-believer. So, so, so there are all kinds of ways the Bible talks about. First John, he says, I've written these things that you may know that you are children of God, you know, and, and he, he lists some things. There's, you know, conviction of sin, and uh, it says that in Hebrews. Uh, um, loving God, keeping his commandments, loving the brethren, all those things. But our passage today says the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. We say, well, I want some big emotional experience. You may not get that. You may have to look at these objective truths where God says, this is an evidence that you're my child. You love me. You're turning to me. You're turning from sin. The Spirit is leading you. Those are evidences. So I just have to ask, how sure are you that you're really one of God's children? Because you can have that assurance today. Now, since we are God's children, it also means, number two, that we are heirs of God. Heirs of God. Now, an heir, in this context, speaks of someone taking possession of something. Look at what it says in, uh, in, in verse 16. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And here's His natural conclusion. And of children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. So we are heirs of God. Now at this point in life, we are owners, we're heirs, but we're not possessors. 
Let me, let me give you an illustration. In my study at the house, I have books. Lots and lots of books. Some of them have actually been read. Now, one of the books that's in my library is this right here. Now, this just looks like an old Bible. And it is an old Bible. And I'm not very sentimental about many things, but this is one of those things that I'm actually kind of sentimental about. Because this Bible, if you open it up, the front cover says, Presented to Monroe Howe by Simpson Missionary Baptist Church for ordination as deacon, October 28, 1973. This was my grandpa's. He's no longer living. I, I didn't get to know my grandpa very much. He, he died, I think, when I was seven. And I don't remember him very much, but I do remember that he was a very godly man. That used to be his, but now it's mine. So in that way, I am his heir. What was once his is now mine. There, now, that is a book that I will not loan out. There are some books, however, in my, my personal library that I will loan out. Now, do I possess every book that I own? The answer is no, because I think I've loaned some books out that have never made it back. And maybe you guys have some, maybe you don't. I don't know. I don't think that anybody here does. But but, but I've, I've loaned some of those out. They've not come back. I own them, but I'm not in possession of them. And that's really a picture of, of what's going on with us being heirs of God. We are what, what once belonged just to the Father, Father and the Son, now because we are His children, we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. We're just as much of an heir as Christ is. We're heirs, but we don't possess it yet. Okay, We have inherited it, but we don't own it yet. It's not, it's not ours. It's not tangible. So, what are we heirs of? Well, we're heirs of what the Father possesses. And that what it says? We're heirs of God. So what does God possess? What does He not possess? The Bible says in, in Psalm chapter uh, 24 and verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And it, it goes on to say in, in the book of Psalms, The cattle on a thousand hills belong to the Lord. Now, is that saying you can go out and take some by its cows? No, it's not what it's saying. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? The meek shall inherit the earth. We will inherit a redeemed earth. Psalm uh, 2 and verse 8 is, is what's called a messianic psalm. It has the Son speaking to the Father and the Father speaking to the Son. And in, in uh, Psalm 2 8, the Father says to the Son, Ask of me, and I will surely give you the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. Now, what does, what does Paul say? We're joint heirs with who? With Christ, with the Son. So does that mean that we will inherit the nations? Yeah. Listen to what Jesus says in chapter, uh, Revelation chapter 2. He says, He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father. We will inherit the nations. What's that going to look like? I have no idea. But that's what the Bible says. In Revelation 21 and verse 3, it says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. God Himself is our inheritance. We are, inherit we are heirs of God. We will inherit God. Now, now that's what makes heaven heaven. And, and this is kind of odd because when you think about it, 
What do we usually look forward to when we think of heaven? Oh, we think of all the beauty, all the angels flying around and, and the streets of gold and the gates of pearl and having redeemed bodies and never growing old and, and the perfect health and no sorrow and sickness and sadness. All that stuff's going to be gone. And we look forward to that and we should, but that is not what makes heaven heaven. If you would just be satisfied with that absent God, you've got your hope in the wrong place. Because God is what makes heaven heaven. And God is the one that we should be seeking because God is our inheritance. He's the one that, 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 that this glory comes from. And we should be seeking after God. He is our inheritance. But if you look, there's a condition on here in verse 17. And if children heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. Now that's been interpreted a different way. Some people think it's just suffering in general because of what he goes on to say about all of creation, suffering and groaning. And, and so some commentators look at that and say, this is talking about any suffering and any suffering that you meet by turning to Christ, that, that fulfills this. It could be that. Uh, other commentators say, well, it says that we have suffered with Him. So it's not just suffering in general but suffering for Christ's sake, suffering with Him. And you remember Paul said that all who live a godly life are going to be persecuted. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, Blessed are you when you're persecuted and people are insulting you and saying all, all men are bad things against you. Uh, and He said, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, do you like that? Probably not. Do I like it? No. Guess what? I didn't write it, and neither did you. This is what the Bible says. And if we're going to have a piece of Christ's glory, that's the part that we want, should we not also have a piece of Christ's suffering as well? Because uh, what, what does Paul go on to say? Verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. See, glory, the glory that we're going to experience makes the most terrible suffering that we experience today, well, it puts it in proper perspective. That's not to say that, that the suffering is easy, because it's not. That's not to say that the suffering isn't there, because it is. But what he's saying is, the cross before the crown. And he's saying that, that the glory is going to be eternal, our suffering is temporary. Our glory that we're going to experience is great. Beyond imagination, the suffering in comparison is very small. And in the final accounting, if you notice what he says in verse 18, it's not even worthy to be compared with the glory that we're going to experience. Now you think about the worst thing that's ever happened to you. That's not even worthy to be compared with the good stuff that's going to happen one day. And that's pretty amazing because some of us have experienced some pretty terrible things. And then he goes on to talk about all of creation. He says all of creation is suffering from vanity and futility. He says that happened when, when God cursed the ground. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve had sinned and, and God cursed them. He cursed the ground, cursed all of creation. And he says that by the sweat of your brow you're going to eat bread and, and all those things. And haven't you ever noticed the vanity of work sometimes? The futility of it? How you work and labor and stress and, and, and sweat and give, all, give your all. And then in the end you look at it and say, what's the point? That's part of the curse. That's, that's just part of, part of our creation. 
Our garden is is an example of futility and vanity, I think. Because you go out there and you look, or you look when you drive by leaving the church, and boy, it looks terrible. It's awful. And why does it look so bad? Because I didn't have to plant those weeds. They came up on their own. But the tomato plants, I had to plant, and they're not doing so great. Probably because I let the weeds do their own thing. But you know what? All this disaster, all this disease, all this deformity, disability, all this bad stuff will one day be done away with. And one day God's going to make all things new. And that just leads to the last thing that he says. Um, in, in, well, in verse 23, he talks about we're groaning within ourselves. You ever groaned? Not just because you ache. I mean, that's part of it, right? Because our bodies are breaking down. One day we won't have that. But we just groan because we're like, oh, when will Jesus come back? When will I be free from all this terrible stuff? When will I get to go to heaven? He says we groan for our, and we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons. Look at verse 23 right at the end. The redemption of our bodies. So we possess a future hope. Now salvation, I've talked about this before, salvation is past, present, and future. If you're a Christian, it's past. You have been saved. That's when you put your faith in Christ. You are being saved. That's called sanctification. That's when we're in the process of becoming more like Christ. We're turning from sin and we're turning to Christ more and more throughout our, our lives. But it's also a future. And he talks about this here. Glorification. We'll have redeemed bodies. Our adoption will be made complete. And one day, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, we'll be like the glorified Christ. Uh, John said in 1 John 3, he said, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And this is one of those those things you hear about at funerals. All those negative things in life. All the pain, all the suffering, all the sorrow, all the guilt, all all, all the trials. Everything bad or negative is going to be done away with. The Bible says He'll wipe away every tear from our eye. There will be no more death, no more mourning. It's all going to be changed. And we will have a redeemed body to enjoy our inheritance with God Himself in eternity. And that's a hope that we have. That's a glorious hope. And because we're His children, that's the hope that we have. And so the question is, do you have that hope? If you were to stand before God today... How confident would you be in His presence? Not because you deserve to be in His presence, not because of some great thing that you've done, not because you've lived a perfect, sinless life, but confidence because you're a beloved son or daughter of God. And if you wouldn't have that confidence, you need to repent of your sins today. You need to step out in faith and trust Christ for the salvation of your soul. Folks, we have a wonderful future that awaits us. And it's so encouraging when, 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 we're, when we're suffering, especially for, for the Lord, there's that encouragement to hang on. Because the glory that we will experience, we can't even imagine what it's going to be like. That will outweigh, so far outweigh all your sufferings that they won't even be used in the same sentence. They won't even be on the radar screen. You say, well, Pastor, thankfully, I'm not suffering right now. That's even more reason to rejoice. You say, things are going good for me. That's fantastic. Because you know what? All those joys that we have, the greatest joy that you have, that's just a small foretaste of the joy of heaven. 
And when you think of the best day of your life, think that's the worst. That's that's worse than the worst day that you'll ever have in heaven. That's pretty great. That's something to to encourage. That's something to to give us joy and put a smile on our face, to lift our spirits.